Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the congregation. My vows I will perform for those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go to the dust even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall live, shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Moline. My name is Kevin Knorr, 
And my wife reminded me as I was preparing for this sermon that I've preached here for you guys three times now. And the other two times I've given absolutely no introduction, anything about me. So uh, my wife, Treve and I have been married for five years. We have three children. Emma is 14, Elijah is eight, and Joseph is seven. They're all um, her siblings. And I'm currently serving as Pastor Justin's assistant over in Davenport. And I am about to finish up a seminary program towards biblical counseling, hoping to finish that up early 2023. But like I said, it is a joy to be here with you guys this morning, and it's never an easy task to peel back the layers of scripture, but my goal this morning is to show you guys how Psalm 22 is deeply fruitful in your walk with Christ in any season, but in particular, it's extremely practical for difficult seasons of life. And so it's no small task that I've been called to this morning, so I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father, you reminded me this morning that Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, say that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, and unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And Lord, I've found in preparing for this sermon that much is true for worship on the Sunday morning, that if you're not present, if you're not preparing our minds and our hearts, that we worship in vain, Lord, that I preach in vain. So I just ask that you continue to be present, that you give the church soft hearts and open ears to receive your word, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you'd wipe away any words that come from me, and that it would be all of you and none of me for your good, for your glory, Lord, and for our joy. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So while studying for the sermon, I was struck by the wrestling that David experiences. Psalm 22 is a great example of David's private wrestling with God as he's struggling to understand where his experience fits in to the greater narrative of God's overarching story. And I think this is something that we find ourselves doing when, when we're in the thick of a hard season as well. We can say, I know that you're a good God. I know that you're doing something here, but why does it feel so bad? And this, we can see David feeling the same way in the opening lines of Psalm 22. Verses one through five read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. This isn't a flat psalm by any means. This, in a sense, is David's private prayer journal to God. He's deeply emotional, he's crying out for relief, and he feels forsaken. We can see the agony and the struggling in his soul over his current situation, but interestingly enough, the psalm never tells us specifically what he's wrestling with. At the same time, we can clearly see he feels distant from God, but at the same time, he recognizes the deep holiness of God. In a sense, this is kind of like David in the hot seat before God. He's gospeling himself in a real way. He's in a counseling situation where he's bringing his agony, his suffering, his confusion, and his hurt before the Lord. But at the same time, he's remembering who God is and what he's done. 
And church, this is something that we must learn to do in order to keep our faith during hard times. Sometimes we want to stop after verse 5 because it looks kind of like David gets it, right? He says all of the right things. He's got language for the character of God and he recalls his past covenant faithfulness. David understands that God is good, that God is great, that God is gracious, and that God is glorious. And I think a lot of times if we were sitting down with him, we might be tempted to say in an MC setting, he intellectually apprehends the promises of God now. I'm good. We're good. Great talk. We'll see you next week. But then verse 6 happens. Directly following his declaration of faithfulness to God, David declares in verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. David circles right back to what had brought him kneeling before the Lord in the first place. Scorned, despised, mocked. People are in opposition to him, and they have a low regard for him. But why? Because it's one thing to be despised and mocked and scorned for being a dirtbag, taking advantage of people, shady deals, stingy neighbors, being an unforgiving or resentful person, being an impatient coworker. These things are actually clearly sinful, and they cause people to pull away from relationships. But that's not why the people have beef with David. It's because he trusts the Lord. In their eyes, what he's doing is foolish because he's putting too much stock in God and his promises. To these people, they're looking on. David is the king of Israel. He has nearly every resource at his disposal. He has an army that he could send to squash his enemies. He has a treasury that he could use to buy his way out of trouble. And yet, what does he do? He insists on waiting for the Lord. But in this moment, in this season, it looks like God is slow to help David, and he feels alone. The only ones nearby seem to be those with a hard or a mocking word for him. So I'm just curious. Do you come into this morning feeling scorned, feeling mocked for doing the right thing? Do you feel alone? Do you feel forsaken by God this morning? Do you come in this morning recognizing a pattern of crying out to God, remembering the promise of the gospel, and yet it still feels like nothing is changing? The good news is you're not alone. And this psalm gives clear language to a God-honoring response to those feelings this morning. Despite recognizing that he is scorned, that he is mocked, and that he feels forsaken, he declares in verse 9, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. The opinions of the others scorning and mocking David pale in comparison to his clear identity as a man chosen by God to serve him. And we know this morning that this isn't a response to David's works because he declares that he was chosen by God from his very conception. Again, David recites covenant promises that he knows to be true about God. 
So we see this theme of wrestling in David's feelings versus David's understanding of who God is and what he's done. And so in the midst of this wrestling back and forth, verses 12 through 18 show us a glimmer of darkness. It looks for a season like David's faith has failed him. Because if you remember, David in an MC counseling type of situation, you'd had the hard conversations. He's been reminded of God's faithfulness. Praise God. David gets it. It's been God all along. What an evidence of grace. It even looks like you might be done early for the night. And then verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. What? What just happened? For a stretch, despite David's understanding of his identity, it looks like despair has won. He feels surrounded. He feels harassed, poured out, melted, and dried up. Moline, this is the language of wrestling with God. This is the language of understanding that you are in a situation far beyond your own control or ability to be delivered in your own power. Are you there this morning? Have you reached a point in your wrestling with God in yourself where you recognize that you need help? Your emotions haven't delivered you. Your perception of what is happening or what should be happening hasn't delivered you. Your job hasn't taken away your wrestling. The language of entitlement has proven ineffective. Working harder, being a better person, and being your therapeutic self have utterly failed you. In this dark place, where's the light of hope for your future? In the language of wrestling, where is the language of faith? Well, in Psalm 22, as I've said, we can clearly see David wrestling with God. But what about when you wrestle with God? How do you lament? When you feel that God has forsaken you, what language do you use to cry out to him? For some, a lot of times, it's a language of vengeance, a whole person's response to a perceived injustice. I've seen this re reaction acted out as, God, I want you to reap my definition of justice on this filthy sinner, and you have denied it. Why have you forsaken the desires of my heart? We had a deal, and you aren't holding up your end of the bargain. This person rightly desires justice, but they seek it in a sinful and ungodly manner. They're calling for God's wrath to be poured out rather than according to his definition. And on the other side, some use the language of detachment or distance in a sinful manner. They cry out along the same lines as David. They say, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And because of that, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You're not powerful to help me. God desires his people to cry out to them 
out of a right orientation to who he is. Now I can hear it. You might say, it can't possibly be sinful to vent my feelings, Kevin. But our tendency as human beings is to make God out to be a therapeutic deity. We want someone we can vent to, someone who will take care of our problems without ever having to feel guilty about it or repent of wrong thoughts and actions. But Psalm 22 isn't giving you license to vent every feeling exactly as you feel it. David instead is demonstrating what crying out to God looks like when one's heart is in that right orientation to their creator. We looked at two therapeutic ways of addressing God. Now let's look at how David uses a biblical concept called lament to call out to God in his distress. Now I know we've all heard of lament. The book of Lamentations is a great example. But lament is a concept in scripture where a believer calls out to God in their distress. They take all of their negative feelings and they give it to God. They lay it at the foot of the throne, but they don't leave it at that. Because to stop at just handing over your emotions without receiving anything in return, it's not enough. It creates an emotional vacuum in your soul that still needs to be filled. Just like with an idol, there is a God-shaped hole in all of us. And so even removing a sinful response, we need to be filled with the promises of Christ. So to use our earlier example, a lot of times we, use, we fill that vacuum with a desire for vengeance or to detachment. But when we lament, we're putting our feelings on God and in turn, we're receiving his promises. We're filling our souls by feasting on him. In your emotional distress, do you feast on the promises of Christ? One such promise in the New Testament is Jesus' declaration in Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus reveals that rather than shame that we so often feel when we experience scorn from others for our reliance on God, we're actually receiving blessing and flourishing as a result. Even when the haters are loud, rejoice in the truth that suffering and lament are deeply sanctifying to the soul and remind us again and again and again of our great need to fill the hole in us with the promises of Christ. David begins the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Do you see the difference between David and the other two examples? He doesn't cry out to God just out of how he's feeling in the moment. He cries out out of that right orientation to God. He doesn't address the king of the universe as someone else's God or as simply another God in the heavens, but he demonstrates his understanding of God's continuing covenant promises. David cries out to Yahweh as his own personal God, as well as the God of his people. There's an element of exchange, that lamentation that goes on in David's heart in the text that's clear to see. He starts with who God is, he brings his own feelings there before the throne, and then verse three goes on, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. 
To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Again, David is submitting his soul and his feelings to the truths that he knows about God. Specifically, that God has been faithful, that he has repeatedly delivered his people in the past, and that David can trust that God will do so again. This is the point in Psalm 22 where we see that that element of wrestling in David's soul. He knows that his situation feels grim, but he also deeply knows and believes the truths about who God is and about what he's done. So in the midst of your wrestling before the Lord, do you wrestle like David wrestles? Verses 19 through 31 give to God's people the language of faith in the community of faith. It gives us instruction for how we can wrestle similarly to how David wrestled. I know that sounds funny, wrestle like David, but bear with me. First, know your place. Verses 19 through 21. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. First, know your place. David demonstrates his deep knowledge and belief of the character of God. He understands and believes that his God is the God who is not far off. He is the great deliverer.